Amen. Thank you, choir. It is so good to see you back uh, up in your place. And uh, it's good to see the children as they are exiting as well. A beautiful group of children. And uh, we're glad that we are able to have uh, this wonderful activity for them. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please. And uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. Book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at the church gathered for worship. Last Sunday morning, we looked at the church gathered for a small group or Sunday morning Bible study. And today, we're going to look at the church gathered uh, for worship. Next Sunday, we're going to complete a little three-part sermon series, and we're going to look at the, the church scattered to gather. We're going to scatter out so we can gather people and bring them back and be a part of the church family here at Elkdale. But today, the church gathered for worship. While you're looking it up, I'm reminded of a story of a monastery and the abbot who was the head of the monastery uh, had all his little monks there and he had a novice, a brand new uh, young man who was uh, entering into uh, the, the, this priesthood of monks and so uh, he told him that he was going to have to speak in chapel. And so um, the, the next day he said, now I want you to, I want you to Bring a little devotional message. It's your turn to speak. And this, this uh, new novice, he said, hey, I, I can't do this. I am scared to death already. I, I don't know what I'm going to say. And so he made all kinds of excuses. And the abbot said, but you're going to have to speak. You're going to have to. You've got to do this. You know, you're going to have to trust the Lord. You've got to do this. Well, he worried all day, all night. The next day came chapel. And so it was his time to get up. His knees were shaking. His hands were also shaking. You're just, you know, he was just so nervous. And he looked out across the rest of the monks that were there. And he said, do any of you know what I'm going to say? And they all shook their heads and like it was choreographed, no, you know, we don't know what you're going to say. He says, neither do I. Let's stand for the benediction. All right. Well, immediately the abbot called him into his office and said, hey, you're not going to get away with this. Now, I know, you know, the number one fear that we have is standing up for a group. And that's what this young man was trying to say. I'm just afraid. He said, you're going to have to do it. You've got to do it. You know, just suck it up and do it. So the next day, he gets into chapel, and it's his time to speak. And this young novice, he said, do, do any of you know what I'm about to say? And they all shook their head, yes. And, and he said, well, then there's no need for me to tell you. Stand and be dismissed in prayer. Well, this time the abbot was really angry. He said, you have got to do this. Tomorrow is your day. You've got to do this. There are no more excuses. And so the next morning came and everybody was just anxious. I mean, chapel was full. Everybody was wondering what this, this new novice was going to say. And it finally came his time. And he stood up. He says, do you know what I'm about to say? And half the group shook their head yes. The other half shook their head no. He said, those of you know, tell those who don't know, stand for the benediction. <laughs> you know, we get confused sometimes, do we not, about truth. And some people know, some people don't know. And so those that know should be telling those who don't know. And in the book of Hebrews, we come across a section of Scripture that is extremely important. Maybe you've never noticed this before, and uh, this is a familiar passage, especially verse 25, Hebrews 10, 25. But what has proceeded here in this passage of Scripture is the Hebrew writers, he's, he, is, he is teaching doctrine. He's trying to help us understand about the superiority of Jesus Christ, the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And he wants everybody to know. He doesn't want to leave any doubt 
to the doctrine of Jesus that, that Jesus is sufficient, that he is superior to any other. And we notice in chapter 10 where he is kind of reaching the peak before he gets to verse 19. Notice in verse 1, chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifice repeatedly, endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Verse 3. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sin. Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and the goats to take away sin. Israel had a misunderstanding, and maybe you do too, that, that what we see in the Old Testament never took away sin. That's why they had to keep repeating it. It was only a shadow, the foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus Christ. But not one of the sacrifices ever took away sin. It pointed to guilt. It pointed to the fact that there was a problem. And it was just a filler until the ultimate sacrifice would come. And we pick it up in verse 9. Then he said, here am I, I have come to do your will. And this is Jesus, this is Jesus uh, speaking. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Once and for all, Jesus died. No longer would there have to be any sacrificing. The old system was now gone. Something new is being instituted into the life of, of faithful, faithful people. And so in response to that, the Hebrew writer begins to tell us about the privileges we have because of this once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us, dying for our sins. There are two privileges that we have. And then he's going to talk about five responsibilities that we have once we have come under the blood of Jesus Christ and been saved by his amazing grace. And so we begin in verse 19. He says, therefore. And that word is a key word. Most of you know, anytime you see a therefore, you better be looking what happened before. And for, for 10 chapters, from chapter 1, verse 1, now to chapter 10, verse 18, the case has been made. It's been laid out doctrinally of what Jesus Christ has done. Therefore, this is the privilege, number one, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Christ. In other words, we have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. That's the first privilege that you and I have. Notice in verse 20, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. Now in the Old Testament, the system of the tabernacle and the temple You'll remember that uh, there were courtyards, whether it be the tabernacle, whether it be the temple itself. There was a place for Gentiles. There was a place for Jewish women, Jewish men, the priest. And the priest could come into the holy place, offer up sacrifices. But then there was the holy of holies that was behind this curtain. Only one priest could go there once a year and offer up sacrifice, it was called the Day of Atonement, and offer up a sacrifice for all the sins of the nation 
that had been committed that past year. And so he would sprinkle on the altar there, uh, he would sprinkle the blood. Well, when Jesus died on the cross at the moment of his death, the scripture tells us the veil in that temple was split from the top to the bottom. Now, we could understand if it split from the bottom up because they could just rip it a little bit and, and the priest could pull it apart. But from top to bottom, recognize that God did it. Not human. No human hands could do that. God did it. He split the veil so that we now all have access into his very presence. And it was through the body, through the flesh. Notice that in verse 20. By a new living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. Jesus' flesh had to be torn apart, representing the curtain, the veil, now torn apart, so we could go into the very presence of God. You and I have that privilege. We, we now can have confidence. We can boldly go into the presence of God because of what Jesus Christ did. We have access. Notice the second privilege in verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God. Not only do we have a priest that is the sacrifice himself, but the priest that takes our hand and ushers us into the very presence of God. In the Old Testament, priests were nothing more but people that were the conduit from God to the people. They had God's hand, they had people's hand. That's what a priest is. Priest was nothing more but the highway, the conduit, so which we could have, uh, the Old Testament people could have a relationship with God. Well, that was done away with. The priesthood was done away with. We only have one priest, the great priest, the high priest, Jesus Christ himself, that helps us, takes us by the hand, and actually ushers. The one who was sacrificed is our priest that takes us in the presence of God. Now, we need to look at the response to it. If all this has been done for you and me, if from the, from the foundations of the world, when God knew that we would sin and that we would go our own way, that Adam and Eve would be kicked out of the garden representing all of us that no longer would have direct access to God, that he planned to send his son, his only begotten son, his one and only son, to die for us, then there needs to be an appropriate response from us. That's what we read in verses 19 through 25. The response. What, what are we supposed to do? What are our responsibilities? Interesting, in verse 26 and following in that chapter, it gives it from the negative point of view. If you refuse to respond in the positive way, there are going to be negative results from God on your behalf. There will be a negative judgment against you if you fail to do these things. So here in verses 19 through 25, we have the responsibilities of those who have come under the blood of Jesus Christ and who are believers in Jesus Christ. It's stated in a very positive way. Now let's stop here and talk for a moment about the responsibilities kind of as an introduction. What we're talking about here is the importance of being a part of the body of Christ, of being a part of the church. We need to have a, a revival of understanding the importance of the body of Jesus Christ. The body we call the ecclesia. The ecclesia is the called out ones. It's, it's the, the Greek name for the church, the congregation. Those who have been set apart. We have such a special calling because God has sanctified us. He set apart each of us for something special. And that, that something special is to be a part of the body of Christ, to be a part of the family of God. And this is why the church is so important for us, because Jesus Christ came and he commissioned 
the church. He established the church. He set the foundation. Matthew chapter 16. He, he told his disciples uh, uh, upon this rock, and he was talking about himself. He wasn't talking about Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. Now, it was the faith of Peter, the Petra, but the Petros, the big rock of foundation, was Jesus himself. He was speaking about himself. And on the foundation of Jesus Christ, the church was established. And then he commissioned the church in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We're to go into the world. We're to make disciples. We're to baptize them. We're to teach them, disciple them. That's the commission, all from Jesus Christ. On the day of Pentecost, the church was birthed. And we studied that last Sunday morning. We're the birth of the church at Pentecost. Well, in all of this, Jesus gave his life for his people, for the church. And we need to understand that we are a part of his body. We are the body of Christ. Just like your body has many parts, then the church has many parts as well. Every one of you represent, as a child of God, you're part of the family of God. This special unit, this special group of people, this congregation, the ones that are called out. The assembly of his people. Not only that, you're also a, a building. You're the building of God. Brick upon brick, you're built. You're the army of God. And that, we're, that we are being trained for spiritual warfare in the world. And we also find ourselves as the bride of Christ. And one day he's coming back for his bride. And he wants us to be blameless. He wants us to be pure on that day that he comes back for us. This is the church. And when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you become a part, a member instantly of what we call the universal church. All believers before today, today and in the future, all a part of universal church. But you're also a part of a local church. The local church is, is nothing more but the representation of the kingdom of God in just a, a specific locale. So Elkdale Baptist, you are the local congregation, the representation of the kingdom of God right here in this very, very spot. And you're part of the family. Can you imagine someone having a baby in the hospital and then walking out and just leaving that baby in the hospital I mean I know that happens but generally that doesn't happen does it we take our babies with us do we not a baby is born into a family and so it should be when we welcome new believers into the church then we want to make sure they're part of a family know that they're in the family they're in the family of God and we share together in this wonderful wonderful gift that Jesus Christ has given us given us and we need to take our membership seriously we, we, we don't need to be haphazard about this. When we become a part of a church, it's not just to get our name on a roll and maybe go through a few classes and then be pew sitters. No, we have responsibilities. We are to, to be a part of that family. We're to grow in that family. We're to give. We're to serve. We're to be on mission. We're to follow the leadership, the God-ordained leadership within the life of the church. We take it seriously. If it was serious enough for Jesus Christ to come and die for you and for me, then it's serious enough for us to take the responsibility of church membership. Now, the writer of Hebrews, understanding all of that, gives us five specific responsibilities. So let's take the rest of this time and look at these five responsibilities. Beginning in the scripture, we find in verse uh, 25, let us attend together. Verse 25, the scripture says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
It, it says, not giving up meeting together. It is inferred there, let us not give up meeting together. Our King James says, forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That, that word assembly has, has the idea again of, of a, like a synagogue. Actually, that's the word they use for synagogue in the Greek. It's the word that the, that the Jews uh, used to, to have families, at least 10 families in the community, formed a synagogue, a, a gathering place, an assembly. For us in the, in the New Testament, it's the ecclesia, the called out ones. But we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. And this is the only of the five responsibilities, the only one that is a negative in the command. Let us not do that. It's important for us to, to come together and to share. And yet, in the early church, there were those that were drifting. There were those who were sliding in their participation in the life of the church. Some of it was, might have been because of persecution. At the book of uh, Hebrews, the writer dealt with a lot with persecution of the, those Jews that had become Christians uh, in, the, in the early church. So there may have been that. But people are still using excuses today, are they not? Why are they slipping away? Some people say, well, I'm just busy. Or some people say, well, I've, I've got work to do. Some people say, I've got to rest. I've been working so hard. There are some serious excuses that people use. There are those that use the excuse uh, that, uh, that just falling away. They're just falling away. They, they may, may never have really been of the fellowship to begin with. And so they kind of drop out. It's interesting that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 19... John tells us that one of the signs that you are a true believer of Jesus Christ is you'll want to be a part of the church because you love the brothers and sisters in the church. And I'm going to tell you what, I love my wife and children and grandchildren and some extended family members. I love them and I want to be with them. I want to be with them. Don't you want to be with the, fam the family members that you love? Years ago, I, I teased... Uh, our congregation, and my family was really tickled by this. I said, you know, we all have a family member. If we could vote, we'd vote them off the island. We'd vote them off the family, right? Don't, don't all of you have somebody in your family? If you were to vote, you would vote them out. I got home for lunch, and my brothers, my uh, children, they named the family member that, that I probably had in my mind. And, and we kidded a lot about that. I mean, we all have some that, hey, maybe we may have some issues. But let's face it, generally, we want to be with our family. Well, then why don't we want to be with the family of God on a regular basis? If we truly love each other, then we'll want to be together and share in fellowship. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, I didn't put this in your notes, but 1 John 2, 14, one of the signs that, you, that you're having problems, that you're backsliding, is, is the fact that you don't have love for the brothers. You don't have a love for the sisters. And it's a sign of, of your backsliding in that particular area that you're withdrawing from the fellowship, and it's a sign that you really don't love the brothers and the sisters. Now, folks, we, we have found ourselves these past 18 months in, in uncharted waters with this pandemic uncharted waters anything in our lifetime but the crisis has been repeated time and time again the crisis there's some here that remember world war ii and remember the attack on pearl harbor and they remember they may have only been children at that time 
but they remember what their families went through. And parents that went to war, uncles and aunts that went to war. I have uncles that went to war, grandfather that went to war. And I can remember as they talked about that, and then what I experienced, because I'm part of that baby boomer generation, that there was a booming of housing afterwards, there was a booming of, of birth rates after that. So I'm a part of what happened from World War II. Life was different after World War II. 9-11, we're going to be celebrating 20 years of 9-11 here in just a few weeks. And life is different, would you not agree? Any of us that have traveled, whether it be across the United States or out of the country, we know that the challenges of travel and, and going through security and all those things, life is different for us. The, the results of a, of a crisis that occurred. We don't know all that's going to happen after this pandemic. We don't know all that's going to happen with, with vaccines and, and other things and how it may affect us physically and the next generation and the next generation after that. But I will tell you that we're already seeing the crack in the church. We're seeing the crack in the church. And we're seeing that crack of people not wanting to come back. I'm not talking about the vulnerable, those who have compromised systems. I'm not talking about that, but just the idea of getting back into fellowship with one another. And we're seeing families that may not want to come to church, but you see them going to school, going to work, and lots of crowds doing lots of things. But, oh, I can't go to church. You know, there's a crowd. And we may have to go back to wearing masks and maybe not shaking hands, all those things to protect one another. That's okay. And those that are most vulnerable... They, if they need to stay away, then that is okay. That's fine. We're not going to judge people. But we're seeing a crack. But let me tell you, the crack we're seeing didn't start with the pandemic. It started about 10, 12 years ago when we realized cultural Christianity was dead. And we've now raising up a generation that don't see the need for the church. They don't need to see affiliate, affiliating with the body of Christ. And it's dangerous. Those that are in the... Those that of you that are in the builder generation, okay, that means you were born before 1946, 65% of you in your generation came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and involved in local church. My generation of baby boomers, 45% of us became Christians and involved in the church. Of the millennial generation, it is estimated only about 15 to 18% have come to know Jesus Christ and are associated with the church. And now the Gen Zs, it may be 3 to 5% will come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Can you see why attendance has been going down? It's been showing for a while. The pandemic has made it even more apparent. Safety, yes, for months. All for safety. So don't go out and say, hey, the pastor doesn't understand. I do understand. We needed to do that. In the future, we may have to make other adjustments, be more flexible, understand that for our safety. But there is an understanding that we need to be a part when we can, fellowshipping, consistently fellowshipping. That's what he's talking about here. The consistency, when we're able to do that, we need to do it. And God will bless that kind of faithfulness that we share in the life of his church. Now, there are a lot of reasons why people don't always attend. It's not all about health. Sometimes people fail to attend because they 
they don't see the need of the local church. They don't see the importance of the local church. Some don't attend because there's this idolatry of activities and entertainment. We see that now with travel ball and all these kind of things, travel this, travel that. We also see that there's a, a lack of attendance because sometimes people just want to take vacations away from the church. And then there are those who, who drop out because there's not enough expectations. So they come and join and they sit, but there's no expectation of them being involved in the body of Christ. And so we, we lose people that way. These are just a few of the reasons. But what I, what I have a hard time sometimes understanding, and I have to tell you, is why would you join something, become a part of something, and not be there on a regular basis? Yesterday, we, Arlinda and I attended a wedding. I, that bride and groom, beautiful up on the platform, and, and, and knew the, we knew the bride, and, and, and Joe just being there with the family. But I can't imagine them getting married yesterday and not living together for a whole year. Can you? Of course not. They, they, they wouldn't get married and not show up, you know, for their wedding night and live together as husband and wife. No, of course not. I can't imagine somebody trying out for a team and then not being there for the practices and for the games. Can you? Same thing in the life of the church. We need to see the importance of being part of the body of Christ. Now you're thinking, Pastor, why are you spending so much time on this one? Because it sets you up for the other four I'm about to share with you. If we can't get the first one right, we're going to have trouble with the next four. So let's look at number two as far as our responsibilities. Let us worship together. Look back in verse 22. It says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. Back in chapter <coughs> 10, early in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, make perfect those who draw near to worship. We have access to God. Let's use it. We have access to the throne room of God. Let's, use, let's praise God. Let's worship together. And we have such wonderful opportunity to do that here at Elkdale every Sunday with what Brother Micah does, his, his praise band up here, the wonderful choir, uh, those that sing on a part of a praise team up here. We're thankful for them leading us week in, week out to worship God. Why wouldn't we take advantage of that access that we have? The early church did it. We saw it last Sunday morning in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47. They gathered together, and what did they do? They praised God. Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. One of the first Bible verses I ever learned as a child. I was glad when they said unto me, let's go into the house of the Lord. I've always loved the church. Wanted to be a part. I'm thankful for my mother who kept us in church and, and, and kept that interest there. And then it just captured my heart and my life. Parents, one of the greatest things you can do, many wonderful things you can do for your children, but keep them in worship. And see what God will do in their lives as they consistently, uh, consistently are worshiping God. It is so important. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And when I talk about worship, I am talking about what full worship means. All of the music, all of the scripture, the prayers, the preaching of the word. Brother JB, even the announcements, all right? All part of worship. Because that's helping us to learn what to do. We, we, when we worship, it ought to lead us to service. And that's what you hear Brother JB and, and Michelle and all that are doing, uh, sharing the wonderful ministries here at the church. It leads us to be involved. It leads us to action. 
when we are together and worshiping. And some of you, you may not like to sing. And, and let me tell you what, <laughs> when you get to heaven, there's going to be lots of singing. You might as well be practicing here, all right? Let's practice here. Remember, this is dress rehearsal. This is dress rehearsal. Worship isn't the only thing. I'm going I'm to preach a series, God willing, right after Labor Day. I'm going to preach a series of messages on heaven. And we're going to be talking about what do we do in heaven. We're going to do a lot of things in heaven. But one of the main things, priorities, is we're going to be worshiping God together. So let's get started here. And let's, let's be consistent and regular and open up our hearts and lives for praising our God. Now, number three, a third responsibility. Let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another. In the middle of verse 25, but encourage one another. Encourage one another. What we have here implied is a reminder that all of us need to share in that. You need to give encouragement, but you also need to receive encouragement. But how can you give or receive if you're not here consistently? See, everything goes back to let us attend together. So if we're going to encourage one another, we got to be in each other's presence together. And as a general rule, we've got to be present. Now, I know we have sick. We have those that are homebound. Pandemic has created issues with those who, who have compromised systems, and we pray for them. But generally, we're going to try to be in each other's presence to encourage one another. And don't we need encouragement? Don't we need encouragement? There, someone that visited our church just a, just a few weeks ago, uh, Helen Stewart, she passed away. And, and they had the funeral yesterday. Alfred's going to need a lot of encouragement. He's going to need a lot of encouragement from people. And he'll get that with his family at First Baptist, and many of you know them. You'll encourage him. And you'll be in his presence to do that. And we'll pray for him. But there's others of you who have been grieving. Or there's chronic issues. There's health issues. There's family situations. Maybe there's a job issue. Maybe there's a family member that needs to come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all need to be encouraged in our lives together. And that generally happens when we are present with one another. There was a, a, an older gentleman. He was deaf. Really had a hard time hearing. And then this is before the time of hearing aids and whatever. But every Sunday morning, you could see him walking to his church. One mile, he had walked to his church, and then he'd walk home. And he'd sit in that worship service. He couldn't hear the music. He couldn't hear the preaching. He could read the Bible. He could see the hymns and do the best he could trying to sing the hymn. And he could read the Bible while the preacher was preaching. He had his Bible up. He could read. Someone asked him why he was coming to church. He could read his Bible at home. He said, I wanted my neighbors to know whose side I am on. I wanted them to know I was on God's side. And one of the great encouragements to Linda and I in our first church, and right out of seminary, and, and we had our two daughters there, son was already born, and we had a retired pastor and his wife that just kind of took us under their wings and would bring things to us, vegetables and flowers, just did some wonderful things for us. And Brother T.D. Lied and, and his wife pastored some of the, the largest churches in, in Florida and in South Carolina, now retired in the Pensacola Gulf Breeze area. They had daughter there. And they would sit on the second pew. There were three sections. They would sit right in front of the pulpit area in the middle section there, second pew. They could hardly hear a lick. 
I mean, you had to get up close to them to talk and for them to hear, all right? But they were in church every week. I remember telling Arlinda, and we were only in our, our mid-20s at the time, I said, Arlinda, when, when we retire, I want to be like that. As long as I can get to church and I can sit in a pew, I may not be able to hear very well, and I may not be fully understanding what's going on, but I want to be in God's house. And I want to be an encouragement to somebody. That couple, many, many years ago, 45 years ago now, were an encouragement to us of how we wanted to be when we retired. Let's look at two more. Let's look at number four. Let us spur one another on. Let's spur one another on. Verse 24, it says, let us consider... And that word consider is a deep word. That means to ponder it, to think about it. Not just uh, haphazardly, but to think hard about it. Let us think hard about how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How we might spur one another. There are many of you that have ridden horses. Maybe you've worn spurs. When you uh, dig those spurs into the, to the side of that horse, that horse is going to go, Right? What are you doing to that horse? You're stimulating that horse. All right? And the actual Greek word here means irritating. You're irritating that horse when you dig those spurs into its side. That's what we're supposed to do to each other. Now, we're supposed to do it in a good way. All right? Don't irritate in the bad way, but irritate in the good way. You're spurring. You're stimulating. You're provoking each other for love and good deeds. It's here at church where we learn how to do those things. Yes, we can read the Bible, and we've got Jesus' example. But we also need each other in that as well. We need to see how it's done, do it ourselves, and encourage other people as well, spurring them on to love and good deeds. And as we share in the life of the church, we will be a better church, better servants. We'll be more like Jesus Christ because we're spurring each other. We're stimulating even irritating at times, do the right thing. Follow Jesus. Follow his way. Act like Jesus. Now, folks, can I remind us, Elkdale is not a cruise ship. This is not a cruise ship. Many of us have been blessed to be on a cruise ship, and we get waited on. I mean, we eat generally about any time we want to eat. We can go. We can relax. We can lounge. There's activities, there's shows, you know, a number of things. I promise I'd take Arlinda back because we went on a Bible cruise and I spent every minute listening to the preacher. She wanted me to every now and then do some things to her. <laughs> and I told her, we'll go on one of those cruises sometime. But on a cruise, it's about you. It's about you. But in the church, this is not a cruise ship. It it's, ain't about you. Now, do you have needs that need to be met? You better believe it. When there's death, when there's illness, when there are challenges, we ought to be here. We ought to help each other. But it's not about us in the long run. It's about God. It's about serving each other. It's about spurring on to love and good deeds. In fact, we ought to be like battleships. We, we ought to be preparing ourselves because we're in, we're in a spiritual battle. And all of us have a place to play on that battleship of being prepared, and, and when the horn blows, we ought to be at our battle stations as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ making advances into this world. And instead of being the cruise ship, which is always our needs, we have, we have this consumer mentality. We all like to go on a vacation where we're served, sure. But that's not what the church is about. 
It's not about how much I or any of anyone else can do for you. It's what we do together to serve God. Do we have some legitimate needs? Yes, and we ought to be there to meet the legitimate needs that we have. But it's not always about you. Now, lastly, let's move on. The last responsibility. Let us hope together. Let us hope together. You know, the early church had a, um, a, a tremendous understanding about the hope that is found in heaven, about the hope of the second coming. Notice in verse 23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And then the last part of verse 25, Not all the more as you see, and, and, and all the more as you see the day approaching. The early church had a tremendous understanding that we have this blessed hope and we should have an unswerving understanding and faithfulness because Jesus has been faithful to us. Then we understand because of his promises, he's not going to break his promises. He said, I'm going to prepare a place and the day's going to come when I'm going to come back and receive you. And here it says, as that day approaches, notice it's a capital D. The day is talking about the second coming. It's talking about the church being raptured and we're gathered in the air with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us hope together. It's a part of the encouragement that we give each other about the second coming and all being in heaven together. There was a pastor who went to see one of the church members named Sam. Sam had been missing a lot of church. And the pastor said, Sam, we've been missing you. When won't you come back? Sam said, Pastor, you know, I've been out a pretty good while. I've, I've come to believe that I really don't need the church. And I, and I can kind of worship on my own. I'm, I'm doing pretty good by myself. And so they were sitting before a large fire that was in the heart there in the fireplace. And so without saying the word, the pastor took some tongs and he pulled out one of the bright glowing embers that was in the fireplace. He took it, pulled it out, just set it there on the heart. And he watched it as it began to lose its heat, lose its glow, turning black. And then he took those same tongs and took that now piece of coal that was dark he placed it back in and before long it was burning brightly again and then the pastor got up and sam said pastor thank you for preaching such a fiery sermon i'll be back in church next sunday morning what a wonderful reminder we pray for our sick we pray for our homebound we pray for those who are providentially hindered at times. But the truth is there. We need each other. So let us attend. Let us worship. Let us encourage each other. Let's spur each other on. Let's hope together. Let's keep the fire burning. Let's keep the fire hot. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the challenge that lays before us. We are in uncharted times. We don't know the full outcome physically from what we're experiencing this pandemic. But Father, we have seen some things in the church that is disconcerting. It's been coming for a pretty good while. The pandemic has just heightened that we have those who have dropped out, some more have dropped out, 
And they're becoming more comfortable just watching a screen instead of being in our fellowship. Father, for those that are able-bodied and, and can, we want to see them back. We want to see all of us consistent in our life. And we recognize flexibility, Father. We realize things could change in two or three months from now. But, Father, for the moment, there's a, there's a challenge before us. There's something that happens when the body of Christ joins together in this congregation. When we lift up our praises, we want to be responsible, respectful, but we also, Father, want to join together our hearts and our lives in praise and adoration, preaching the word and moving forward. Forgive us for inconsistencies when we're out in the world, but somehow or another we think the church is to be so different. No, Father, we keep our eyes on you. We trust in you. Encourage us. Spur us on. May we never lose the hope that we have. May we truly worship as you would have us to worship, all because we are attending in the house of God. We pray for this invitation as you speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.